Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, big, big night for him. Was not selected, but will surely be one of the top names on the undrafted free agent market. Eric Green, what's up, buddy? Uh, I was draft eligible in 2007. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I got that DeAndre Hewlett thing going yeah. on, except my draft rights aren't owned. Uh, but I got my coffee. And uh, so draft night's fun. Uh, it's always fun. And it was fun last night. It was. Um, you Not know, so the- much from a Raptors perspective. Like, I mean, uh, they made their picks and that's cool. But just, you know, seeing the jockeying around the league, uh, it was a fun night. Yeah, I, I love the draft process and I appreciated having uh, a lot more time with it. Uh, this time around, and you know, anyone who reads uh, our, our work on the written side of the athletic knows that on Tuesday I released my Raptors big board. So, um, just to give some background on my relationship with the draft, uh, so when I was at the score for the 2013, no, 2014 and 2015 NBA drafts, I was our draft lead. Um, so, so that was the Wiggins and the Towns drafts? Yes. Okay, yeah. Because 2013 um, was the Bennett draft. Yes, that makes sense. Um, not the not the honest draft, the Bennett draft. Yes, correct. It was the uh, the Bruno draft and the Delon Wright draft, as they are in my yeah. head. Yeah. Uh, actually, I guess for me it was more of the Norm draft because I was very I was a very big Norm uh, yeah. fan at UCLA. Um, yeah. So anyway, I I was our draft lead at the score for those two years, and then um, in the years since the Raptors, you know, 2016, my first year freelancing and doing the Raptors Republic thing full-time, they had nine and 27. So they made a bajillion picks. Uh, so there was a three-year stretch there where the draft was such a huge part of my job covering either the league or the team. And then the last couple of years, it's been way more boring where like they took OG Ananobi, which was awesome. And he wasn't like, I, it's, OG Ananobi almost changed the way I, I lay out the tiers where, um, Eric, I don't know if you you looked at my tiers, but I had the tier I of did, like... I actually, uh, when you asked me to read something, I almost always do yeah. read it. I had the top tier of like, probably not going to be there, but guys, and in other years, like I probably wouldn't even have done that, but then OG Ananobi slid and I was ill-prepared other than, oh my God, this is amazing. So was that your, was that your fringe, the equivalent to your fringe tier this year or was that yeah. one tier higher? Yeah, was, it would have yeah. been fringe tier because I think OG, yeah. you know, he was getting mocked some in the lottery, but there were obviously the the injury question marks. Um, but I don't think anyone thought he was gonna gonna slip as far as far as well. Injury, yeah, so. he had the injury thing, and then he played at the intra squad scrimmage, which I think shocked everybody. Uh, I can't even remember where trading cap was that year. Now, I believe uh, it was maybe in Burnaby. Burnaby. Yeah, uh, the, rest in peace. The yeah, the center. closing fortieth uh, center, which I, I think Alex McKechnie 
has some uh, investment in. So it might be time to try and get Alex uh, re-signed through next, beyond this season on a maybe below market deal since he's looking for financial security. What is uh, the, what are we no. doing here with anti-labor takes right out of the gate? No, look, Eric, I mean, look, look, we, we're going to be talking about how Fred Van Vliet's market is cratering all of a sudden. In so, the uh, pocket of MLSE, Eric Green. <laughs> I wish. I suppose you think Masai <laughs> should take a discount as well, right? Yeah. Where's his loyalty? Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, Guys, all that, of that. That was all a joke. Uh, let's go on. Um, the the Fortius uh, thing is real though because uh, part of obviously we, they're not doing this because of the pandemic and, and the delayed start. But normally a part of the Raptors summer kind of incubator program is that those players will spend some time in Toronto, they'll spend some time in Vegas out at summer league, they'll do they'll spend some time in LA, and you know everyone will be like, oh my god, the Rico Hines runs, which yes, absolutely. Paul Watson on the radar from the Rico Hines run. So uh, let's go. And then they'd also usually some of the newer guys would spend some time in Burnaby with McKechnie's mm-hmm. group, um, you know, doing some baseline stuff and, and some testing and, and basically like, you know, I think setting up the guys for the rest of the off season in terms of like, what do you need to work on? You know, Hey, your hip mobility is not great. And that limits your ability to scamper around screens on the perimeter. You know, here's what we can do to work on that, that kind of stuff. Um, McKechnie's still on their contract, so it's not lost entirely, but a part of that kind of rotating, um, I guess, semesters of the the player development offseason will maybe take place somewhere else now. Yeah, and like it is, for their purposes, a great training camp setup, and I'm sure pre-training camp in the the, uh, type of workouts or, or training that you're talking about, because they do have like rooms there where you can hang out for the day and rest and uh it's sort of like a little dorm feel upstairs uh attached to a you know definitely a world-class facility so i mean sucks for the people who use it regularly first and foremost uh and the people who work there uh but uh yeah a bit of a blow to the raptors but they uh they will find a way i'm confident yeah, they'll figure it out. Um, so anyway, all of that draft backstory is just to say that I love the draft and the draft process. And, oh, Kelly Olenek just exercised his $13.6 million player option. Shocker. Mazel tov. Uh, more more uh, BC talk early in the early in the podcast before we actually raised, get to the process. Raised in Toronto and then yes. moving to BC. Um, Although... I will say, though, uh, we obviously don't know much about what the Olympic qualifying tournaments and Olympic process is going to look like next year but if you are someone projecting canada's roster in a say vaccined environment uh kelly olenic now being a free agent next summer instead of this summer is not the best thing for his chances of suiting up for canada but or theoretically him playing for the heat as opposed to a uh worse team uh making making it so he might still be playing deep into june and july but, Although, I mean, at, at that salary on an expiring now, I would assume he's a trade ship at some point. But Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. But yeah. I, I think your take is right. But also, <laughs> international basketball happening. Yeah. It's hard to imagine at this very moment. Yeah. but So, for anyone who follows Canada basketball and is curious, <laughs> there is a... I promise we'll talk about the draft at some point. There is a FIBA Americas qualifier, like, this month in an area where COVID numbers are spiking and the U S and Canada both have not made like any mention of having a team down there. And we have like 
FIBA hasn't made it clear, like, will those teams get disqualified entirely? Because if they do, that means Canada can't make the 2014 Olympics. Uh, or 20, will they just be able to 2024 two... Olympics. Yes, 2024. Mean. They they yeah. won't make the 2014 Olympics either, though. Yeah, Sochi. Tough yeah. one. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, that's... Uh, we should probably talk about the draft. All, I, <laughs> all of this preamble is because I'm very excited and I was happy to have the pre-draft process back. And it's very fun to not only look at... So I make this composite big board that takes 13 or 14 other boards. And basically, I average those out. And then I have a sub-average of like the four or five people who of those that group I kind of trust the most or, or find I their analysis lines up with my own the most. And that's where I create the baseline from as I for to like dive into profiles. And then the last step in the process um, after doing my reading and my stats looks and my video dives and stuff like that is to raptorize the ranking and uh, give a guy, you know, basically try to come up with a big board that I think might be more similar to the Raptors board than uh, the consensus board out there. Now, I do constrain myself where, like, I can't go too far outside of the range of rankings, basically because I have to, like, I have to bake into the process that I can't, as a full-time Raptors beat writer, I can't watch as much college basketball as um, a lot of the people who... Full-time draft writers. Exactly. So our (laughs) Sam Vecini or even John Hollinger, who gets to do more of a high-level thing. Uh, Brian Schroeder over at Uproxx, whose draft stuff I like. Um, Crab Dribbles on Twitter, or I guess he's Illegal Screens uh, on Twitter. Um, Jackson Frank, a a lot of guys like that. And then even like, you know, um, Jacob Goldstein's uh, PIPM rankings, uh, Ben Pfeiffer and all the guys over at the Stipeyet. Stepian. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I kind of constrain myself to arrange because I can't, I, it's just not even in a pandemic environment, like it's not feasible for me to have watched as much of these guys as those guys have. Um, but I think I can raptorize it a little bit. So a night like Wednesday is fun for me because the Raptors took two guys who I had much higher on a raptorized board than on the consensus board. Which feels good. It makes me think I'm on somewhat of the right track. Now, I didn't, you know, I I think the Raptors probably had Malachi Flynn somewhere in their top. I don't know. I I think, like, given the way they talked about him after and just how obvious a fit Flynn is, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors had uh, Flynn in, like, their top, like, if you want to call it lottery, but their top 10 or 15. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say 15 is probably a safe number to use. Yeah, and then Jalen Harris I had in the uh, early 40s. So at 59, uh, Flynn, by the way, I had at um, 22 on the Raptor board. So getting him at 29 is nice value. And then with with Harris at 59, I had him in the mid-40s on my board. He was projected to go undrafted pretty much everywhere. Um, so yeah, some, some nice value there as well. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would assume with a draft this flat and the Raptors not shuffling around in the draft, like I'd assume Harris was probably inside their top 30 to 35, um, given how many options were still there at 59. You know, I would have loved if they just came out and said, actually, Flynn and Harris were exactly 29th and 59th on our <laughs> board. Uh, and the, the league just got it right this year. Yeah. We're really <laughs> upset to have missed on Nico Mannion or Justinian Jessup. Uh, one of those names who I like a lot more than the other, by the way, even though they're both in the same spot now. Um, Justinian Jessup. Whew, that guy can shoot it. Anyway, so the rap. 
Pardon? Mr. Jessup. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. Uh, so the the Raptors did end up with Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris. Malachi Flynn at number twenty nine uh, is was a very Raptorsy pick. You know some of the other names, the the highest other names on our board around that time: uh, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Tyrell Terry, Teo. If you wanted a, a potential stash, um, I saw some people you know mildly disappointed. Uh, Jordan Noir is a, from Louisville is another guy. Some people seem to like, uh, but. Flynn was. I think the lesson here is they couldn't have gone wrong from a name standpoint. Yeah, just yeah. a lot of good names. Yeah, absolutely. And then the one name that I had in the mix here, uh, and I actually had him slightly higher than Flynn, but I had uh, Grant Riller, Malachi Flynn, Xavier Tillman, and Desmond Bain all in the the same tier on my board and were available here to where when we were slack chatting, I was fine with any of those four guys. Yeah. Um, I probably would have leaned Tillman just given the need at center and just like selfishly from my X's and O's breakdown perspective, he is probably the smartest player in the draft. Um, and is like the closest thing to, I obviously, you know, him becoming a Marcus all type would be an impossibly good development outcome. But in terms of like, those reads that Gasol makes on both ends where you're like, did you like, are you watching the game on replay? How did you see that coming to be? Um, and also just having a big ass to set some good screens. Yeah. Uh, so naturally, when, naturally Canada's team, the Memphis Grizzlies took him. Yes. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies who continue to just take the highest rated player on draft Twitter uh, to where Cole Zwicker, who is a, a friend of the podcast and used to do public facing draft ranking stuff, had to put a statement out last night that no, he is not working for the Grizzlies. <laughs> um, so Malachi Flynn, we can get into a little bit of a scouting report. Eric, I I know normally I lead the, the draft conversation, but when we were discussing prospects privately leading up to the draft and, and when you did your best possible outcome for the Raptors offseason, uh, you kind of narrowed in on Malachi Flynn. And I think you would have, had you done a big board, it sounds like you would have had him uh, even a little higher than I did at 22. Uh, what do you like about Flynn? Why is he an Eric Kareem player? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't research the draft to the extent that you do. Uh, but As noted I, by Bobby Webster. Yeah. Um, well, he, it was a, he noted that you do a lot, not that I specifically don't do Fair. that much. Um, but it was a well-deserved shout out. Uh, I hope you don't strain yourself patting yourself on the back. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like you said at the end of your Flynn column, like he's very Raptorsy, and the notion that this is like a two-way player, not not necessarily in just like the broad shoulders and, and you know in Lowry's case big ass the the general width that Lowry and Van Vliet play with but in terms of like just being able to guard your man and not being there's so many point guards in this league who are just bad defensively <laughs> right like like uh, and the Raptors don't really have to deal that with that they've like you remember the feeling of having to hide CJ Miles <laughs> in the 2018 series against uh, the Pistons, which they, they were not able to do, but they tried to hide CJ Miles. Uh, like, the Raptors just haven't had to do that over the last few years. So the idea of getting another guy um, who, by the way, isn't just a replica of those two guys who seems to maybe have been the top pick-and-roll player uh, from a from a ball handler point of view in this draft, 
so, uh, you know, when they say he doesn't have much upside, like the notion that you're able to execute the most commonly used play in basketball uh, <laughs> to a very high degree, like that suggests some upside, even if it's not the sexiest thing yeah, in the I, world. Yeah, I think what people get bogged down with sometimes is like, when they say upside, they're talking, okay, 100th percentile outcome. Everything yeah. breaks right. What does this player turn into? And for Malachi Flynn, that's probably like, you know, maybe an average starting point guard, which is still an unbelievably good yeah. thing to get at number 29. And yeah, there are probably some guys in this draft who, um, you know, their upside is second best player on a championship team. But the thing you also have to keep in mind with upside is like, yeah, it's... It's awesome that a guy has that upside and not to not to uh, be negative about a guy and a draft pick that I've defended for a long time. But like Bruno Caboclo had like Giannis upside, maybe uh, if everything broke exactly right. Maybe not, but maybe like his 110th percentile outcome or something. Yeah. Uh, but you all a part of determining upside is also what is the likelihood the player reaches that upside what is the value of that player if they don't reach that upside and i think flynn probably more than anyone left on the board at that point other than maybe desmond bain probably had i think the highest like the best median outcome where it's like okay let's assume everyone in this draft progresses average for their skill set and their draft slot and stuff i think flynn is was the best player on the board other than maybe bain and i think when you look at what the Raptors like to do at both ends of the floor and you look at, you know, what a playoff rotation looks like. Like I asked Dan Tolzman about this after after the draft um, and basically in nicer terms, I said, you know, does the fact that you guys took two guys who can really pressure a defense and pressure the rim, one as a pick and roll guy and one as a as kind of a three level scorer, you know, is that a lesson learned from the fact that all season you guys couldn't do that? Uh, and he, you know, I asked it nicer and he, he kind of tiptoed around it a little bit, but it certainly seems that that was one of their takeaways from the playoffs was that, yeah, we need more dynamic creation in the half court and uh, Flynn being an elite pick and roll player. And we'll, we'll talk about Jalen Harrison a little bit being kind of a, an exciting scoring piece potentially. And I think the way to frame Flynn, you know, I don't, there are people who have some questions about his defense, which are, are maybe fair. You know, he's only six foot one. He's not super athletic uh maybe he struggles with the the strength and athleticism moving to to the nba from the ncaa but at the same time he was the conference defensive player of the year uh he's like hyper intelligent on both ends of the floor and he tries really hard defensively so that's um you know that gets you uh, a good amount of the way um, especially when you when you look at the team defense side rather than the one on one yeah. defensive side, and, and he also had like a sky high steal rate. So um, if you're you know projecting or, or trying to quantify what a guy's defensive instincts look like, you know he projects well there. And I think the way to frame it is not necessarily that you know I, I don't know that Flynn's going to be Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry levels of, of all defense. I, I do think he has the same skill as them in that he's very good at digging down on post-ups, like in double teams, which will be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I think when you look at what a playoff rotation looks like and how Nick Nurse managed his playoff rotation and, and how other teams thin theirs out um, deeper into the playoffs, what you're looking for is with a draft pick or in free agency or, or as you're developing a guy is what is who is the best offensive player who can actually stay on the floor with their defense in a playoff game? 
And I think, you know, whatever you think of Flynn's defensive upside, I think the floor is enough that he's not going to be a guy who can be played off of it. And then, you know, you've got all this playmaking. Um, Sam Vecini and um, Brian Schroeder are two guys who are really high on Flynn's shooting potential. He shot 36% on threes um, and pretty well on a, on a decent volume of pull-ups. Uh, the rare time he was unguarded, he shot really well on catch-and-shoot opportunities. So um, some potential for him to be a, an off-ball guy in kind of those Raptors two-point guard sets. Anyway, I'm just saying there's a lot of, there are a lot of paths to Malachi Flynn becoming a really useful rotation player. And I think the convert, especially at 29 in the draft uh, and in a draft that was light on, you know, top tier talent, uh, the focus on upside loses maybe some of the, some of the necessity yeah. of looking at likelihood of reaching different outcomes. And I and think I, like the the super big upside guy who could have been in the rank was it Jaden McDaniels, yeah. Jalen McDaniels. Like Jayden. he went the pick before, right? right? Like, and it's not like he's the only guy with upside, but like he was sort of at the polar. My understanding is he's at the polar opposite of things. Yeah, he's a six uh, ten forward with a handle who got moved to the bench as a freshman because he was so inconsistent. Feels like Anthony Randolph. Um, <laughs> Still anyway. a good overseas player, by the way. Bring him back. Yeah. Uh, so I think you just can't have enough two-way players. Like, would it be better if he were 6'4 or 6'5? Sure. Yeah, but, but he would have gone in the top 10 if he yeah, was 6'5. Yeah, exactly. So you figure it out. He's insurance and also, like, a player who can, the Raptors obviously feel, can play next to Lowry and Van Vliet. And if they've played that way enough where I think we can pretty safely believe them. Uh, and like, he's going to fit right in. Like I, I at 29, I, I don't think you want to, and as you mentioned in this type of draft that was noted for its depth rather than its potential home runs. And there's always like, there's not always, but there's usually one or two outliers there who will shock you outside the lottery and become like tentpole players for their teams. But you know, if you get a guy who stays in the league for a long time at that spot, you're doing well. And everything I've read, and again, the day after draft day and the day after draft day, there aren't many hammering. Like, not many picks are getting hammering. Yeah, but everything I've read, Celtics. Everything <laughs> I've read and everything I've heard says is basically this guy's going to be in the league for a long time. And if John Hollinger calls him a baller, like, yeah, I'm for it. Yeah, just the baller is the, yeah. the Hollinger quote, uh, which is kind of the Raptors type. So you talked about, um, you know, potential surprising players at this point in the draft. So let's pivot to Jalen Harris, who the Raptors took at number 59. Again, I had him mid-40s. I saw him as high as 34. Uh, Evan Zamir, who's, a, a, I mean, a general analyst, but also a draft analyst who I like, was the high watermark for him. And then the consensus, someone did a consensus NBA draft Twitter board and they had him at 44, which is uh, a little higher than, uh, you know, I saw him as low as 86. He was mocked to go undrafted pretty much everywhere. Vecini uh, had him in the 70s. Right? Yeah. And, and Hollinger didn't have him in his top 70 at all. That's because uh, they're cowards. Yeah. I, I like Jalen Harris a lot. And, you know, I don't want to undersell him by saying I had him in the, the mid late 40s. The quote that I wrote when I, I broke him down last week, um, there there's a whole write-up there that you could check out at, at The Athletic, obviously. Um, but one of the the 
a sentence I had last week was, I like Harris more than some of the wings projected to go late in the first round and think he'd be a steal on a two-way. Uh, so to get him at 59, where he's possibly on a two-way deal or, or possibly on a one of those team-friendly second-rounders, uh, I really like this. Uh, Harris projects as a very good three-level score. And what I mean by that is he can shoot the three, uh, he can get to the rim. He has a bit of mid-range game, and then he's going to get to the free-throw line, I think, especially with the the way that uh, NBA officials call contact versus NCAA ones. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's got that burst and he gets into guys' chests. And you, I think sometimes in college basketball, when you're the initiator of the contact, you don't get the call as often as you do in the NBA. Um, so maybe that helps. Uh, the big thing with him is just like, he just scores. And, and I know that that's reductive and I, and I don't want to, at the risk of cursing on the podcast, like he plays like a motherfucker offensively. Like it's just, he kind of has that will to his offensive game where even if he's not, you know, even if his handle isn't the tightest, even if he doesn't make the best reads all the time, he has enough burst and he has enough craft and he has enough. Um, kind of will to the rim to score in a lot of different ways. So, um, you know, I think he was underrated a little bit by the fact that he transferred and, and um, you know, spent his year at, at Nevada and a was pair a pair of transfers. Picked yeah. The Raptors. Um, but yeah, both guys transfer and then an old, an older season. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the, one of the funniest things about Jalen Harris actually is like, so he's, he measured at the combine a six foot four with a six, seven wingspan and only 195 pounds. And you watch him play and like he bursts and goes into contact as if his lower half is PJ Tucker size. Like he is very strong through his core and his lower half. And I don't want to get into the whole, like, like body glorification side of drafting. But in terms of, hey, will this guy be able to continue finishing in the paint at an NBA level or creating separation at the NBA level while project- protecting the ball? I think that strength, um, you know, through his core and through his lower half is really important. He can kind of uh, absorb that contact. And the fact that he can score at multiple levels uh, will make him tough. The big question. Your point, me, your point seems to be that he'll he'll at least try. <laughs> like yeah. the, we we won't be left doubting whether he can or cannot. Like, yeah, like look, one of my one of my favorite um, kind of non prospect prospects in this draft. My one, I, I should say, one of my favorite prospects to watch in this draft was Mason Jones out of Arkansas, who who ended up with Houston as an undrafted free agent, and his whole thing was like he's six five, two oh five, and dunked one time all year. Uh, and is just like, he's just such a bully and so strong. Well, Jalen Harris has that and also the best vertical jump in the last like four combines. Yeah. So Uh, you have a little more burst there on top of that same kind of, I'm going to get to the rim F you kind of mentality. Now, obviously he went 59, so it's not (laughs) universal that, that he's great. And I, I think there are some position questions on offense. You know, Sam Vecini has some questions about, can he play off the ball? Is he going to do enough off the ball and play well enough off the ball? Um, or is he going to have to, you know, try to develop into more of a combo guard, which is something Tolzman mentioned last night as well. Um, and then defensively, Vassini has more concerns about his defensive floor than I do. Um, I think, you know, athletically and kind of competitiveness wise and just looking at the way the Raptors demand things from from their fringe guys. Um, you know, he's either going to figure out the team defense side or he's not going to play. So, uh, you know, and at 59, if he doesn't play, whatever. But uh, I, I like Harris and, and I think 
you know, it's it was fun to go back this morning as I was waiting for something to get edited and, uh, you know, watch Flynn and Harris went head to head once this year and both had huge games. So that was really cool. Were they uh, guarding I, each other? Not much, no. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I don't think either of these guys is going to be the go stop the other team's best player yeah. kind of guy. But, um, you know, Flynn's obviously going to project as a good team defender. I think Harris can can at least get there to where that scoring in a second unit could be uh, could be a nice a nice asset. You know, so, might need some G League time, but we're talking about the number 59 pick. Yeah. So I think uh, the way you described Harris, it's a good time to get into some of the realities of the Raptors situation. Uh, heading into offseason and heading into guys they already have on their roster. Because to me, when you're describing him, he doesn't sound dissimilar to Terrence Davis. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think you intended it like that, but like that seems like there's some overlap. Uh, And again, at 59, I think the Raptors' intent is to draft the best guy they have, the the highest guy they have on the board. And unless it's like a ton of duplication, like, uh, and you know this guy's just not going to have any room to play whatsoever, you just, you go with the best guy on the board, and and that's that. But in a year in which Norman Powell is probably your most realistic trade chip, uh, just because he's a good player, attached to a mid-level, the only mid-level salary you have. I'm not saying he's going to be traded. I'm just saying if the Raptors do make a trade of some significance, he's the most likely guy to be in it. And given Terrence Davis's situation, uh, again, he's facing seven charges related to an altercation with a woman in New York uh, earlier. No, it's this, it happened in November, correct? Yeah. Anyway, um, his guarantee date is November 29th. Uh, So that obviously comes after the beginning of free agency. So the Raptors have to decide if they're going to keep him on the roster or not uh, by November 29th. I mean, he sounds, they, they he sounds like, of, a guy, like a guy. They kind of do, but also he's on a minimum contract. So if they have yeah. to waive him later. Yeah, it's whatever. not a big deal. But he sounds, Jalen Harris sounds like a guy who does, this isn't the purpose for taking him, but he slides in again as a piece who could perhaps soak up some of those minutes of either guy while saying, obviously, if you're picked 59th, you're not slated to get minutes immediately. Yeah, exactly. And I I think, you know, you can get, you can get too bogged down with, uh, you know, oh, well, they took two guards. Yeah, I got a lot of, like, they needed a center. Why didn't they take a center? Well, like, it's because I... there weren't very many good ones at 59. Yeah. You know, uh, like, like yes, I like I said, I probably would have taken Tillman at 29, given who was on the board. Um, but you also, what are you going to do? You can't, you can't fault them. And, and, like, look, what the playoffs taught us and, and what, you know, the last couple years have taught us is that, you know, first, first, not to to knock on centers because um, the center position is obviously still very important, and, and you need to have that size and versatility at that position. But the replacement level for center is maybe a little bit higher on the market, and like dynamic creation in the half court is at such a premium that you know, even if you were, even if your roster was entirely guards at this point, um, you still need more of that skill, and you can't really fault a team for thinking that. 
A, we need more of this skill, and B, if we're going to bet on a developmental project, it's better to start with that rare skill and build around it than try to develop that skill because, um, you know, I think the last couple years have shown us, even if the Raptors player development system is very good, uh, that kind of dynamic shot creation takes a long time to come around for guys. So, um, now I will say at 59, there were some other names that I liked, uh, as potential on, as potential targets. Um, Nate Darling, who I know some people wanted, uh, as a Canadian, has signed with Charlotte, where he'll be uh, with Jay Triano and Nathaniel Mitchell on their coaching staff. So that's fun. Um, you know, there were a lot of guards who were interesting, like Devin Dotson got signed. Uh, Tyshawn Alexander is still out there as of this recording. But once you go Malachi Flynn, you know, I understand not to not to undercut my own point, but I understand not going with another point guard in that spot, especially if you're confident you could bring Van Vliet back. I, I think they were probably going best player available, um, but you could certainly see where they would maybe want to go a little bit up the position chain. A um, couple other names out there, Lamine Genet, um, who is at a Cal State Northridge and I would love to have w- with 905 and see what he can do. Uh, Christian Vital at uh, a Connecticut who is uh, he has, he shares an agent with um, Pascal Siakam and Paul Watson. So some familiarity there. And I, I don't think he's an NBA guy yet, but I think he could potentially win G league defensive player of the year at the point guard position. Um, Miles Powell, multi, uh, mildly interesting out of Seton hall. Um, Caleb Wesson is a, is a center out of Ohio state who I, I think the Raptors were are, or were interested in, as an undrafted guy, but the, the thing the Raptors are always going to run into is they like to, and, and summer leagues, no summer league is going to change this a bit, but the Raptors like to um, bring in a, a number of exhibit 10 guys to compete for those final roster spots of the final two way. And they've done that a couple years in a row now. So you see this huge run on two way guys immediately after the draft. And then there's a little bit of a lull now, I think while teams and agents figure out, you know, okay, how many two way spots are, are left and, does a does an exhibit ten in the right situation uh, make more sense? Um, so there are there are lots of names still. Um, Nathan Knight, Mabadi Diakate, uh, Jake Toulson. There there are some interesting names out there that the the Raptors could target, um, as well as Canadian Kareem Maine, who is uh, not close to the NBA at this point, but could be a G League guy uh, to get another Canadian in there. Eric, uh, should we pivot and talk uh, the free agency period that starts like eight minutes after the draft ends? Uh, yeah, sure. I think, uh, uh, I just want to say bravo on your job covering the draft. Uh, I learned a lot from you, uh, from your work and I hope our readers did too. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, no, Um, I I like to be earnest every so often, but usually I just want to be Eric. Uh, Ah, boo. Um, I guess, uh, one other draft thing, I guess, before we move on, and it kind of colors free agency is that I think, uh, this is, uh, mildly scary with how the last, uh, little bit has gone. Philadelphia had a really good day yesterday. Um, you know, they paid some picks to get rid of Al Horford, but they landed Danny Green through all of that. Um, they drafted well, they, they added a lot of shooting, um, Dallas had a really good day too. I thought, I, I thought Dallas, Philly, and, um, Memphis were, were kind of the three teams that, that had the best day. Uh, I really liked the Raptors draft too. And then if, if it, Raptors fans need any consolation, I, I did not like the days that Boston and the Knicks had. So, um, the Atlantic kind of comes out as a, 
as a bit of a wash there, but um, Philly loaded up a little bit. Obviously, Milwaukee's been trying to make moves. Eric, heading into free agency, what's your what's your feeling about the Raptors overall? I know you columned up about it last night. Yeah, um, it's just like like I sort of mentioned at the top, like, and I think I thought this would be the case heading into it, just because of the realities. I mentioned Norm pa- Norm Powell being the most likely trade candidate, and why they just don't have like a lot of mechanisms to be in the fray as much as some of these other teams are, and I know like I have one like WhatsApp group with a bunch of big Raptors fans who I grew up with uh, in Thornhill, Ontario. And like, they're talking about how the league is sort of, how the East is sort of passing them, the Raptors by. Uh, And I like, I get that feeling like watching the Nets position themselves to take a run at James Harden, watching the Bucks load up and then maybe slightly unload uh, in because of the, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich situation <laughs> that uh, I, anyway, he looked like he's going to be a buck and now it looks like he's not going to be a buck because he's of- also, by the way, I just want to say it's pretty unfeasible to to see a scenario where the math works and the chips work and stuff. I want the Raptors to sign and trade for him so badly now. Like he is now my number one. I like him anyway. And and when I did my free agent targets, I I was like, okay, he's going to be too expensive. He's going to be out of the range. He is now at the top of my list. Just, just to mess with the bucks. It would have to be like a norm sign and trade. No. Can you do that? that. Yeah. Um, But he'll, I mean, I think he'll be in the 16 to 17 range. Uh, before I go, uh, no, let's let's stay on the route. Don't go on a tangent, Eric. Uh, they just don't have the mechanisms to be as like, as I said, in the fray. So they're kind of boring right now. And but this is what we talked about. Like this season and last season, to be honest, seemed like they were going to be transition years for the Raptors. And then they went out and had like the best winning percentage in franchise history, and that made us forget that like yes, this was always sort of going to be the natural bridge to what's next so in that sense i get fans feeling like you know predicting them to finish second or third again in the east would be sort of insane because right now it kind of feels like that at the same time if you go in with the expectations and the memories of how the raptors got to this point in the first place it was to keep picking good guys it was to develop those guys and it was to put yourself in a position to strike when you're able to. And, and at that point, you might not have to give up three first round picks and two pick swaps for Drew Holiday to make some to make a guy happy. Uh, and that's not a criticism of what Milwaukee did or is doing. But I think like everybody can agree that was an overpay just based on what's out there like they did that in a very specific context so the raptors are going to keep on valuing their assets uh in their own context and they're going to keep on trying to be good and i don't uh, like sure maybe that's a bit boring and uh and it's not that much you know fun uh in the same way that like philly fans are having fun or nets fans are having fun but You know, they've done it before this way, and it seems like they're going to try and do it again. And the point is to just stay flexible to pivot when the league changes around you. And I think that's what they're doing. Uh, 
And we can get into specifics now. I think like the Van Vliet market is continuing to look a bit better for the Raptors, if you want to take it the from Knicks, the Pistons' perspective. The Knicks, though. Sure. Loom. Like, I, I don't say facetiously. Like, yes, the Pistons, on top of taking on salary, are absolutely maneuvering like a team that is taking a longer-term outlook to where... As much as Van Vliet is a is a culture builder piece and 26 is an old, uh, it might not make the most sense to spend money on a, on a guy right now. Um, you know, Atlanta has been tied to Gordon Hayward. Uh, they've been tied to uh, a couple other names. Now, if they get a Hayward type, maybe maybe they're just as aggressive. Um, you know, Bogdan ha- has been rumored to there as well, though. So, um, you know, there's... There's always potential for teams. You know, Phoenix is probably out of the running with, with Chris Paul. Um, you know, Miami, it, it, short of Giannis immediately signing the Supermax and, and signaling that he's not uh, he's not interested in going elsewhere, you know, I don't think they'll carve out the space. But the Knicks, it's, and it seems the Knicks, like Dragic is probably heading back there. But yeah. who knows? Yeah. The Knicks stay the Knicks, though. Yeah. I mean, it only takes one, and exactly. we know that. But uh, oh, maybe the Knicks don't stay the Knicks. Uh, just coming down that uh, that Miles Powell is signing uh, an undrafted deal with the Knicks. I like him. Um, yes, I don't think that materially changes the conversation. But that uh, I'm glad they're doing something halfway smart. Maybe you mean after they had a bad a bad draft night, uh, the undrafted signing isn't swinging you on their their outlook. Uh, I tend to look at these things from a macro perspective, yes. Uh, Shocked so, they didn't grab uh, Malachi Flynn since he's a CIA client, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I mean, that's sort of my big takeaway. Like, you know, the Bucks screwing up uh, a potential illegal maneuver doesn't seem like the greatest thing. But they also were, you know, they sounded pretty confident about Giannis signing something. Uh this summer or this i gotta stop doing that this off season uh so who knows how much that changes if it changes anything uh but i think the raptors are in a fine position it's just not terribly sexy you know yeah it's not sexy uh but what are you gonna do that's uh look when when we laid out the Kawhi scenarios like you can go back to after the championship, you could really go back to when they acquired Kawhi if you really want. And if you go back and look at our analysis around that time, especially with some of the salary cap stuff and where, you know, post Marcus all trade, we kind of gave the warning that these two years would be transition years and not transition years in the tear it down and tank because one, they value winning too much as a culture builder and experience gainer and just like, you know, making sure that your organization has a the level of cachet to get in the conversation for guys. And two, because there wasn't going to be a path to being bad enough and there wasn't going to be a path to salary cap flexibility to really add. So, um, you know, I do think the honest thing, if, if the signals are that he's staying in Milwaukee, you get a little more aggressive in trade as it pertains to, um, you know, giving up uh, an asset that was maybe attractive as, as part of the Giannis package or... Um, especially in terms of taking on salary, if, you know, Tommy Shepard keeps saying this isn't happening, but say a Bradley Beal type 
hit the market, who has extra years on his deal. You know, Oladipo is interesting because he only has one year left, so you could pivot off of that if it wasn't a fit. But if a Beal type hits the market with a couple years left, you know, suddenly you can you can engage with that a little more freely than you could if you're holding space for for Giannis or you know player free agent X Kawhi Leonard if you really want um which would be just way too hilarious anyway this was always going to be a bit of a transition period for the Raptors I don't think there's much to be negative about short of you know them losing all of their free agents and then they're really stuck in that like weird ninth seed purgatory Playing, baby. So all that is to say, like, there's, it's it's certainly going to be unsexy, and, and I understand the angst of watching the teams around you load up and, you know, feeling like the Raptors aren't doing anything or are hamstrung to do anything, but they just won a title two seasons ago, and this was always, if Kawhi left, there was always going to be a bit of a transition period, and, and now you're in a spot where you've made a couple picks you like, um, you have a good pick equity moving forward. You know, you're out a couple seconds, but you have all your firsts. You have good cap flexibility. Um, you know, you could cash in some of that to sign OG to an extension, or you could hold that. Um, you're just, you're in a pretty good spot to stay agile as opportunities arise. And I think, you know, part of that is, yeah, like like if the market for Drew Halliday is three firsts and two pick swaps, maybe you're listening a little more on Kyle Lowry. That's part of being agile too is, um, you know, being able to kind of turn those hips and move in each direction. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, yeah, it's not the sexiest place in the world to be, but I don't think they're going to get bad enough. And uh, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think they're going to get good enough to, you know, maybe they get back to the second, even third round, but I don't, if I were picking right now, I don't know if I'd pick them beyond the second round, even assuming Van Vliet's back and one of the bigs or whatever. Um, but unsexy isn't always bad. Sometimes it's just reality, and sometimes it's necessary to get you from a very recent championship to your next contention. Yeah, and window. I think, like, they're not the only team that's done this. Like, Yeah, we, shit ain't we, linear. Look at the Spurs dynasty. Yeah, but also, like, remember how Houston was stuck on the treadmill before they got... Harden even like yeah. they, they never tanked and then they became the closest team to beat a healthy to beating like a healthy Warriors team uh other than the Cavs uh who actually did beat them but that was pre-Durant um like there are it doesn't I mean I don't think we're having this conversation but it doesn't have to be one or the other like you know you're actually absolutely going for it and ab or absolutely tearing it down like i think talk all those years we talked about the you know the peril of being stuck on a treadmill sort of did a disservice to like really explaining what a treadmill was yeah and like the hawks are one example where they stayed committed to the exact core a little too long and there were no real paths to adding to that yeah but if you you know that's the important thing is like you can stay on the treadmill as long as there is a visible path to getting off of it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and I, th I would think like we, we don't, we're not running a Hawks podcast, but I think they probably thought at some point like maybe we could package Jeff Teague and Josh Smith into a star if that happens. I, I, I mean, I don't know what they, the hell they thought, but uh, yeah, like I don't think the tr like being good is a bad thing uh, necessarily because you, you heard like, it here first. Being good is not a bad thing. It reminds because, me yeah. of that um, 
I think it's a David Roth tweet. It's like a fake Trump tweet of, <laughs> to me, success wasn't bad. Success was actually good. And Trump actually retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing. Like, it's already worked. And that doesn't mean it's likely for it to work again. But as I always say on this podcast, no path is likely to work. Like, they're all likely to fail. It's the NBA. It's a zero-sum game if you measure it by championships. So you got to go with the route you feel comfortable with. And the Raptors have shown good reason to feel comfortable with this path. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you all right? Yeah, no, I'm fine. Just, just uh, I'm having arguments with myself now. Yeah, you're uh, getting a little fired like, based up. Based on uh... like one or two comments from my friend slash Twitter. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> I was never one who looked at success as bad. For me, success was always good. I loved it and still do. The <laughs> fake Donald Trump quote from David J. Roth. That, uh, David uh, Roth endorsed. is great. Uh, not to get political on the podcast. But no, we, 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 we would tweet. never. Uh, do you know where the 2024 Olympics are, by the way? Uh, no. Do I? Uh, no, they're in Paris. Um, oh. I, I just hope Boris Diaz is involved somehow. Yeah, he's got to be the ambassador, or at least like the barista or something, right? The French team uh, chef de mission. Although that sure. sort of sounds like too much responsibility for Boris. Yeah, it's just like the uh, official... Uh, now I'm blanking on the name. What are the people in charge of wine uh, at a restaurant? Sommelier. Yeah, the official sommelier of uh, the 2024 Olympics. There you go. Um, all right, uh, we should wrap this up. So uh, look at what's ahead. So right after we finish can I get this podcast, it, Can I get one really quick question into you? Yes, of uh, course. Let's, so you don't get to invent the numbers, but what, what numbers are you comfortable with uh, starting salary-wise with Fred and one of Serge or Mark coming back on uh, in, in terms of keeping not only your flexibility for future seasons, but also maybe being able to add around the what they already have for this year. Like, what would you, not in an ideal world, but in an ideal realistic world, sort of what are you looking at? Yeah, I think, I don't know if comfortable is the right word. I think I'd go as high as like 22 and a half average annual value for Van Vliet. I think I'd probably project him to be worth just a little less than that. But when you figure in replacement level and... and you know, the fact that you're stuck in this weird purgatory range without him and just, you know, it's it's usually better to to keep an asset than than let it go. So I, I would go to like, I don't know, so four, nine, ninety four years, four. 90 yeah. wouldn't make me thrilled, but I wouldn't hate it. Um, I think if you're the like like 480 is kind of the ideal. Hey, offer this. I've said kind of all along, like if they offer that at 601 to, on Friday, you know, maybe you get him to to not go so deep into um, bidding war, right? Um, and then with Abaka or Gasol, the honest answer, like this isn't very analytic, but the honest answer is if they're willing to sign a one-year deal, I don't care what you pay them because... Um, you know, I just, I, think, I meant in terms of like keeping their opportunity costs, I know. Like, open, yeah. Yeah, but like you have like over 40 million in flexibility before you hit uh, the tax line. Um, so you'd still have a chunk of the mid-level, like even if you gave Abaka say 12 million or, or 14 million, still have a chunk of the mid-level kicking around, um, you know, to take a flyer or two. I, I think 
with Jalen Harris and with some of the undrafted names out there, even O'Shea Brissett and restricted free agency, I think maybe you want to use some of that mid-level exception to give uh, a third year on some of these minimum contracts that you might be giving out because you can't you can't do that. You can only go to two years on a standard minimum with at the uh, mid-level. So, um, but I mean, you you know me. Uh, I want Harry Giles. <laughs> I want him. Give him to me, uh, Chris. The, the wave of emotion I've been on with Chris Dunn this week where the Bulls decided not to qualify him, so he's a UFA, but then the Raptors drafted two guards. Uh, whew. Chris Dunn! At last, he's on his own. Um, wherever he goes, <laughs> it would be extremely of the last two years if Chris Dunn ends up on the Grizzlies, but I think they have too many. The Grizzlies just have too many players at yeah, this point, I yeah. think. Somehow it feels like they have like 20 guys. Um by the way, I have no idea what his medicals are, but it looks the tea leaves suggest Jonte Porter is uh, not going to be in Memphis next year. Um, at least right now, it looks like anyway. Uh, he would be an interesting guy if the med- if the medicals are okay and he's willing to go get some G League reps. Anyway, uh, I would like Harry Giles, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like I'm just Friday. like unsure where the opportunity cost gets paid yeah. for. Uh, I like, think like maybe 14. So what am I, what am I thinking here? Like 36 between the two of them is maybe where I get uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I just, I think it might, like if you're trying to keep Surge from signing a, you know, 330 deal or whatever, like the full mid-level is what I'm basically saying. Uh, do you have to go higher than 14? We'll see. Uh, I don't know. So let's let's assume uh, Jalen Harris signs for the minimum. Uh, the Raptors have ninety one point five million committed to uh, eleven guys. So that leaves them with what forty one under the tax. So you could go to if you wanted the full mid level, you could go to about thirty two for Ibaka and Van Vliet combined. But you could also go higher than that and just use less of the mid level. So. Um, yeah, I think they're in a. I think they're in an okay spot. Cool. I thought. I mean, I just think lots of people once they get into free agency and once, like, if those two guys are, are you know, if they bring back Van Vliet in a center, they'll want to know that question. I want to know sure. it. So uh, that's why I asked it. I ask All questions right. to people smarter than me, and some in many ways, Blake, you are smarter than me. I don't know about that. I said uh, it, gotta, I'm smarter than you in certain other ways, but you yeah. know this is why we're such an effective tag team. Yes, um, be a shame if one of us turned on the other one for uh, a new tag team partner. Yeah, uh, you know. I, I, sorry, I've been watching too much AEW. You know. Uh, yeah, Tony Khan was on uh, Jan Dan last night. I don't oh, know what cool. he was. I don't know what he was saying, but well, uh, he's probably talking about Malachi Flynn and. <laughs> uh, all right, we got to go. Uh, this is pushing an hour now, which uh, given that free agency starts in like 24 hours and this is probably going to be outdated, uh, we should probably wrap it up there. Uh, guys, just a heads up. So uh, Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris will be introduced via Zoom later on uh, Thursday. Keep an eye out. If you haven't checked out the real time tab on your athletic app, that is available to non-subscribers as well. And that's where we'll be posting some of the quotes and notes from that. Um, I have full scouting reports on each player up at the athletic right now uh eric has a a column up on the draft and then first thing tomorrow morning we'll have a a kind of a cap sheet update to wrap up some of what we've been talking about here as well as um you know some some of the lower end free agent targets like the guys a tier below harry giles if you can believe (laughs) if you can believe that i'm gonna sell you on guys a tier below that uh look for that um thank you for for listening along we will probably 
I'd imagine uh, if free agency goes as it normally does, which is breakneck pace, we'll be back sometime early next week to discuss the landing spots of Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka. It might be nice to have like one week to not relax, but to like have a picture of what they're doing and who they are. Of course, then we'll be submerged with questions of where they'll play. So it's great. That's great. Yeah, we'll know who they are, but not where they are. Uh, (laughs) Mini camp in LA next week, though. So um, things are getting rolling. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Please check out uh, all of our work on the written side at The Athletic. And Eric, thank you, man. Black A, thank you. See ya.